0: Welcome to the No Risk Sports Performance Podcast, where we discuss all things sports performance, from training to nutrition and recovery to individual and team victories on and off the field. I'm your host, Judah Boulay, owner of No Risk Sports Performance in Lincoln, Rhode Island. I'm ready to roll, so let's do this.
1: Cool. You ready? All set. All right.
0: Um, All right. Welcome, folks, to another episode of the No Risk Performance Podcast. Today, I'm greatly honored to have the one and only Lee Taft um, on the show today. Um, Lee is one of the uh, prominent speed coaches in the country. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about sports. We're going to talk a little bit about business, um, but... Without any further ado, here's Lee. Lee, please, uh, you know, just give the audience a quick synopsis of your extensive background and um, who you are, what you've been doing, and where you're headed, um, so people can get a sense.
1: Sure. Thank you. Well, first of all, thank you, Judah, for inviting me on. I'm honored to be on. I'm a big fan of the work that you do, and I think, uh, I think this would be a lot of fun to share ideas. So, but yeah, I, you know, I've been in fitness and uh, sports. Uh, from one extent to another for quite a while I started out as a phys ed teacher back in the 80s and then uh, um, you know also did the you know coaching when you're phys ed a lot of times end up coach so I coached three sports and um, you know when I first started out and then done many other sports over the years but I've also been involved as a strength and conditioning coach for all those years as well and um, you know I've owned you know several academies for speed and and then uh, that usually, you know, landed me. What happened was uh, because I got in the game so early with kind of this multi-directional speed concept, it landed me a lot of consulting. So over the years, that started to be a little bit more of a lucrative uh, aspect of my business and, and a lot less time, you know, so, uh, so I just naturally kind of went into that route. That's kind of what I'm doing now, M- much more consulting and coaching, others to help them understand it and be able to implement it okay um
0: so what so you've worked with a wide range of um athletes um and obviously each age bracket has its own um um, complexities to it or as Mm -hmm. well as the own reward from it um and you have worked from you know little kids all the way up to professional athletes um what is the biggest commonality that you take away, whether you're working with a, say, seven year old um, or a, a teenager, a teenage athlete, or versus a professional player? Like, are there any commonalities in the way you approach the training?
1: Absolutely. Between yeah, that's a great question because really, I, and I've always said this <laughs> speed, especially multi directional speed, which would mean cutting, change of direction, lateral, all that kind of stuff, as well as sprinting really doesn't have a bias right it's uh, if you're seven years old or if you're 27 years old anybody can do it you know we watch little kids run at recess they all run and jump and play laterally and do all that so that's not the issue the issue is the other aspects of teaching it's attention span it's how much information do we want to give someone that hasn't even really gotten into their major development yet we don't want to we don't want to imprint too much information there that's going to change when they go through a growth spurt so the the commonalities are i can teach a seven-year-old and you know a 17 or 27 year old how to run i can teach them how to shuffle because those are pretty baseline skills and then it's when we start talking about how much do i do how much volume how intense that's when the game changes a little bit, but the cool thing is anybody can join in, even us, even us old guys can join in and, and keep doing it.
0: Awesome. Um, so now you're just, you, as we were talking before, um, we started, you mentioned that you're coaching your sons. Um, so you're getting more involved with, uh, coaching your son's teams and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, as a strength and a strength and conditioning coach, speed and agility coach, um, knowing the importance of training, um, and this is something I'm you know, balancing too with my own kids. Mm-hmm. Um, what is what? What's the fo- what focus or what percentage should kids be devoting to just training versus you know um, practice or playing on a, a competitive team or something like that? Do you have any thoughts on that? Because the trend is to like specialize at such an early age right now, right? Um, or the pressures there at least, you know, yeah. um, which you know, just speak to that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a big conversation we have quite frequently. Probably every month or so, you're going to hear somebody talking about that. And I've been a big advocate for kids uh, developing primarily through play. And when I use the word play, I mean I come over to your house and I knock on your door and I say to your mom, "Hey, can Judah come out and play?" That's what I mean. Can we go out and can we go to the park or can we go throw the football around? And, and what happens is the kids will develop, um, they'll develop their own rules, they'll develop how hard they want to go, they'll develop how long they want to go, they start to, they'll, they'll experiment with skills that they're, they're not afraid to be told by a coach, hey, don't throw the ball behind your back, you know, or, or don't do this or that, they just experiment. And that's what a lot of great athletes did growing up. So my, my fear is that we get kids that no longer have creativity because they're told what to do all the time. And part of when I grew up playing, I mean, I played four sports in high school, plus all the other sports we played at the park, you know, just all the things we, you know, taking, uh, you know, paper, rolling it up, putting tape around it. And now we played stickball, you know, or something like that. And, you know, just you name it, we did it. And I think what's happened is what, Because there's there's a pretty large generational gap between when you and I used to play till now, you know, at seven, eight years old, they, you know, they get put in a car driven to a structured practice. So the kids don't even know what that means anymore. They don't know, like if you said took a bunch of kids to a park and said go play they probably said, well, what do we do? Right. <laughs> you know? As well, if you did it with us, we would be opening the door before you stop. Like, let us out, let us go. Right. So I think that's the biggest issue is I don't know that kids know what to do anymore because they're not exposed to it. Phys ed is getting less and less, um, uh, you know, organized and it's be, being cut a lot. So kids are just losing part of that. Um, and I think what has to happen is you got to go back to the young kids and you've got to expose them to free play. So you got to take the kindergartners up through and let them so then as they grow, they, that becomes a part of them again, uh, like it was for us. And I think what we're finding is kids that don't get that, they quickly determine that, you know, I don't like this anymore. I don't want to get in a car, drive an hour and a half to a practice twice a week and then play five games on a weekend now, some kids do, and that's OK. But if we're looking at the masses, that's why the dropout rates are so, so big. And so if you're if I were going to say a percentage, I think the young kids, like the pre-adolescents, I mean, I think it should be 100% f- free play or structured free play. In other words, you might have to say, hey, guys, let's go to the park together. I'm going to bring some balls and stuff, and let's do this and play. Um, but I think when they get up, you know, early teens, 13, 12, 11, 13, if they want to sample some uh, travel sports, local stuff, I think that's okay and stuff. I just think when they get isolated in one sport, travel all the time, that's when we see the downfall of development, really.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, um, what about training? So, like, you're, you, you, you know, preach, you know, movement, right? And these the seven, um, foundational patterns for speed and agility. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your take on young athletes working that into their, you know, their, their repertoire for, uh, for activities in terms of, you know, cause that's more structured. That's not necessarily play, right. um, but it's focused coaching. But it's also skills that they might not necessarily learn on their own, especially because there's no play and gym gym class is not like that. So, where do you exactly. f- see the need for that being put into like younger kids, or yep. maybe you don't?
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I think with the, I think if you have the opportunity, like physical education, like you're running a YMCA youth, you know, rec league or something like that, and you're going to do warm ups, teach the kids how to do that. Teach them how to run, how to do a 180, how to shuffle—just do it every time you meet them in the warm-up, and just expose it to them. As they climb up and they get a little bit more structured, sports like maybe they're playing for their fifth-grade elementary team or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, the warm-up should be consist—you know—consist of those things. If there's the opportunity, like you and I train athletes, like right? right. we do that, we we work with adults, but we also train athletes. If somebody wants to come to us and learn how to move. I don't think there's a downside to that. I think the downside becomes when it becomes um, arduous and it becomes like, they don't want to come. You got to grab them by the back of the shirt and bring them. I don't usually run into that. Kids like to come because I make it fun. Even older athletes I, you know, they know they're going to work hard at times, but we're going to make it pretty fun. So I think things like that, it's just like teaching a kid to throw. I think those foundational or kick if they play a soccer sport, uh, or a foot sport i think they have to learn some fundamentals but i just don't think it should dominate their development and i don't think it should be shoved down their throat i think it should be just kind of dripped on them and then the older they get then it becomes more of a part of their daily training
0: gotcha no that, that definitely makes sense um you know we're saying you know um a lot of kids you know and from like playing one sport and then their parents like one sport and then they're playing like three sports at one time, all travel teams. And then they're being carted all over all from here to here, depending upon the day of the week. And one of the other things I'm seeing, you know, it's like, then they're having to choose between practice for one sport or playing a game for the other sport. And of course the game's always more fun. So, you know, kids stop practicing and then they start, stop improving. Um, Cause I, I feel pretty you know practice is an important component um, of every sport or, or of everything, because that's where, you know, you refine your skills. Gotcha. Um, so in terms of as what what age group or what age? So, you know, because now we have the, the tendency is to have try to kids get kids specializing in a sport at a young age. But we both agree that that's not the best for um, mental or physical development um, for that athlete in that sport. If an athlete was going to start to focus in on one sport, because let's just say they wanted to play that sport in college. um, What age would you say that that should, you know, should happen? And even if they do choose to specialize in a sport at that age. Um, should they give up the other sports as well? What, what are your thoughts on on, the, on that?
1: Yeah, I personally think they should never give up the other sports if they enjoy them. If they like them and they're getting pressured by someone, I think there has to be some intervention there where a parent or another coach has to go to the coach that's forcing them to pick and choose uh, I don't think they should. If they if they themselves said, you know, I just I'm not in love with these other sports. I'm just doing it because people want me to do them. I, I would say probably going into their junior year or whatever because at that stage, they've had a pretty good foundation of many other sports. And then if they want to do it, and at least they've had exposure, to other sports so that now when they become an adult or maybe they get in college and they want to join a club team, you know, they can play something that maybe they had a little bit of exposure to when they were younger. The, the problem I see is if, if, a, if an athlete likes to play other sports, but the time demand or the particular club, I know several clubs that Um, they they make the kids they basically sign a contract that you will not play another sport if you're in a club if you do you can't Um, in Indiana there was a high highly rated soccer club that they couldn't play any other high school sports or anything and I just thought that was sad and it was happening with younger kids too so what happens is you're rolling you're rolling the dice right because There's the chance of injury. There's a chance of burnout. There's the chance of just falling out of love with the sport because you do it so much. And now you've missed the opportunity to play the other sports because you could have gone that route for like two, three years. And now you've lost your skill set for another sport, but yet you want to try again. But now you're a senior, you know? And if you're trying out for a sport and you haven't played it at all, chances are you might not make that sport. That's my fear. And I think, Judah, and I think we had this discussion a long time ago if you look at the number of kids that actually make it to the highest level, there's so few that, you know, the opportunity to enjoy high school sports, to, you know, go to pep rallies, to be involved walking down the hallway and the kids patting you on the back, Hey, great game yesterday or whatever. That stuff I think is so valuable and carries a lifetime of joy versus like we've talked about, driving in a car for three, four hours to go play in a tournament all weekend. And, you know, you're just exhausted by the end of it. And that's really what you remember is just being completely exhausted rather than, you know, the game, go play one game, go home. You know what I mean? Like, like it should be. But uh, so, yeah, I think there's I I think there's an age that they can do it, but I would not do it if I did. Like I played two college sports, but I played four sports in high school. You know, so I mean, I, I actually had the option of playing any of those four sports in college. But what most people forget, there's a lot of colleges out there. I'm not I'm not going to make it on Alabama's football team, but I could make it on the local Division three football team. Right. Or, or basketball or track. Or There's a lot of schools out there. People forget there's a lot of teams available to play college athletics if you want to. Doesn't have to be on ESPN. Right. 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 <laughs>
0: No, no, that's definitely a um, great point. And like one of the things is, you know, that you mentioned. It, one of the other trends is that like a lot of kids aren't even playing for their high school anymore. They're they're yeah. choosing to play for travel teams over their high school, so they're missing out on like that key part of the high school experience, where you know, or you know, the teams got a big match against its like in-state rival, and you know, like yeah. the the hoopla that goes around that. So it's exactly. sad. Um, so just, let's just segue back into like sports performance training. Um, you know, like your stuff is fantastic. I've learned so much from you, um, yeah. you know, and your the, the, I guess I don't want to call it a bag of tricks, but like your, you know, your bag of yeah. drills and correctives and stuff. Um, so, and I'm, one of the things is I don't want to call it hacks, but you know, I'm all for in my own training. And then when I have limited time to train somebody, the, the drills which give you the biggest bang for the buck, right? So the drills which, you know, will, will just increase your athleticism and, you know, no matter, you know, just if you had to pick five drills, if you're only given five drills to use in training somebody, um, and that those are, the, say, the only five drills you can use of somebody um, for one year, um, what would those drills be to improve the athleticism or athletic capabilities of an athlete?
1: Yeah, but that's a great question. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. I like that. <laughs> so I would definitely say if we're if we're gonna do a drill that's maybe a little bit different than traditional just going out and running, right? Mm-hmm. I would say some form of resisted acceleration because that's my opportunity to improve power output. I can improve, improve the uh, the, the amount of time that they reach peak power when they're pushing. Mm-hmm. Because normally if I run with my own body weight, by the second step, I've reached my peak power because then momentum takes over. But if I put a band around someone, r- really inexpensive tool I could put around them and I can work that. I know I can improve acceleration, uh, leg drive, which could translate into jumping power and all those things. So that's a great one to do. Another one, um, you know, we've talked about this in the past, is I have a, 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 it's kind of like a um, body awareness, spatial awareness type series that I do. It's called the 180 series. And the reason I'm big on this is because athletes have to be able to distort their body. They have to be able to turn. They have to be able to quickly relocate their eyes. And I don't think athletes and coaches realize how often that happens in sport. Uh, even if I'm a tennis player, if I get a lob on my head, now all of a sudden I'm backpedaling to a quick turn or I'm turning and, or uh, backpedal and then having to turn or in football or basketball or soccer or rugby or whatever, there's always that moment when I've got to quickly turn and now chase. I think that is a really, really underestimated or overestimated skill. I don't think that they, they um, address it enough. So that's definitely one that I would do. Another uh, exercise that I pretty much routinely do with all athletes is a side medicine ball throw series. And what I'm trying to do there, Judah, is even though I have a medicine ball in my hand, it's not about the medicine ball. It's not about, um, you know, like the core training, that's a side gain of it. What I'm trying to do is use the weight of the ball as I go to throw it, so imagine me doing kind of like a shot put, but I'm not throwing it up, I'm throwing it like across Mm -hmm. my body. In order for me to do that right, I have to use my backside leg. So if I'm throwing to my left and I'm throwing with my right hand, my right leg drives hard down and back into the ground. Well, that's exactly what I need to do when I do like a lateral run step, or I'm gonna turn and take off, or like a base steal is gonna steal, right? That's the action. So the medicine ball is actually driving that backside leg. That's so critical in most sports. Track and field, I would be throwing it forward. But all other sports, we do a lot of these side throw type exercises. Now, a fourth one that I would get in there, because again, this, I'm going to talk more about team and uh, court and field type sports, is I would make sure the athletes are very efficient at what I call a hip turn. A hip turn is when I'm facing one direction, all of a sudden I got to turn quickly and go backwards somehow. I can hip turn and shuffle, run or lateral run, whatever. The reason that's important is because in sport, I'm constantly changing where I stand in relation to the ball or my opponent or the play. So being able to give ground to be able to be in a better position to play, especially if the ball is on the opposite side of me, maybe on the other side of the field, or if my opponent runs by me quickly, I have to be able to quickly open my hips and accelerate. Well, not only does that help me be able to open my hips, but it also helps me with those other skills, the acceleration skills, because the minute I do the hip turn, now I'm either shuffling, running, or doing a lateral run. So that's definitely one that I would do. And then, you know, This last one, I would say would be, you know, 1A and 1B. And I would say some, either a vertical or a broad jump, probably, I don't know. It depends on the athlete because I'm big on the broad jump, Mm -hmm. but but the value of the the vertical jump is obviously important. And what we get out of that, okay, beyond the obvious of being able to jump higher is, It's a, a tremendous assessment tool for does the athlete have the ability to load those ankles and load those feet? Can I load my hips? Does the athlete understand how to use their arm to add value to that jump? Then we look at the opposite end of it. Can they land it? I really get to assess a lot of great stuff on that. Plus, we're improving power output, whether it's horizontal or horizontal or vertical. And, and we get to see what kind of like what kind of CNS they have, what kind of nervous system are they? Are they like a more slow but powerful? Or they like really springy, like a ping pong ball mm-hmm. like a can go really quick. So I think those five would probably pre- be pretty good ones. And I think they could cover a lot of ground with an athlete.
0: Oh, those are awesome. Um, the, uh, that just, um, that, the jumping stuff just made me um, just think of another question in terms of like, when you're dealing with athletes, I know, I know I've seen, uh, I've, you've talked about this before and um, other stuff. But the difference between being a hip driven or um, hip driven athlete versus a quad uh, centered athlete. So should athletes be both um, and you train the one that they're weakest on or how how would you approach that? So if you had a quad centered athlete, would you spend a lot of work getting them to be hip driven as well um, and vice versa? Or how would you approach that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Again, I, I, I really, if, if I had an athlete that was pretty much even across the board, and most of the times in my training sessions, we're gonna if, if I get them at least twice a week, they're going to get a day of quad dominant and a day of hip dominant. The reason I say that is if we look at most sports, we don't have a lot of time to load. Like if I'm going to get a rebound, I don't have time to squat way right down and bring my arms way right back and then jump. I get to jump pretty quick and I usually have to do it looking up. Which makes it more of a quad dominant jump. Talk about a volleyball player, a middle in volleyball. You know, hands up high, they drop quick and they jump. It's almost it almost looks like they're doing a jerk, like right. you know, a, that you have to stay upright and use your quads. But we don't want to always do that because then that sometimes irritates the knees or it could irritate the ankle joint because if they don't have great mobility, they could have issues there. So we want to make sure that they have nice congruent movement with those hips. So we want to get the hip hinge. We want to make sure we use both of those. So let's say you sent me an athlete that was very much quad dominant. That's what they do. Their sport demands, it, and that's what they do. They have big quads, not great with their hips. Well, then I want to make sure that I put more time into the hip dominant pattern because I need to protect them but still work on their power and then the third part to this really is I do the same with the landings so if we have a day where I'm going to do quad dominant jumping I will have them jump and they land up on a box so basically I'm taking away any heavy landing because they jump up they land on a box they get the step down But then I'm also going to have another day where they have to learn how to land with a quad dominant landing because I have to be able to keep my head and eyes up. We'll do the same thing with the hip dominant. Some days they're going to be able to jump up on a box. Other days they're going to have to land on the ground like a depth drop and be able to absorb using those hips as well. So I think if an athlete has both of those, they're in good shape. But if they're more used to one or the other, I think you got to kind of do a little bit more of the one they're not used to. Kind of level
0: them out a little bit okay awesome um that makes a lot of sense now last question with the sports performance um what percentage do you focus on athletes and i guess i know it's a lot varied depending upon the athlete or the team um a lot of places advertise sports specific training and it's all weights and not a lot of movement um you're almost on the opposite end of that where it seems to be more movement than weights um What's your take of incorporating weights in what sports performance training?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I actually, if you saw my strength, my the Speed Academy, we did it was almost if it was a pie, it was almost 50-50. But but the first we did different types of warm-up type stuff, even jump rope, we did all those kind of things. And then we did our speed stuff. And then when we got into our strength, our strength was even with strength training, we did our squatting and our bench press and our dumbbells to all that stuff. But we also incorporated a lot of variations of maybe like a dumbbell snatch, things that a young kid could learn. Uh, or a, a one-arm dumbbell split jerk, which is a skill. It's a movement quality. and But it's not that hard. I could take a 10-pound dumbbell with a 13-year-old kid. and pop, I mean, I've done it for years with them. And they love it. They love the challenge. So even though I'm doing strength training, power training, that still has that element of movement control. Because as you know, being in the CrossFit industry where you've got to learn how to pull, drop, receive a weight. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a phenomenal skill for young kids to learn because it translates well to athletics. So, right. so yeah, I, I, we're about half, maybe, maybe you know, a little bit more. 55% might be speed and stuff overall movement and then the last part but uh, but yeah I, I make sure i do the strength because i know that's how i keep them protected you know the strength training helps them stay strong and protects them
0: okay awesome from your business is finding your niche so you've slightly moved away from training athletes now to where you're kind of focusing on making coaches better right yeah, uh, yeah. and that's like you know so your focus you still have some athletes because yeah. You're a lead half to speed guy and you know <laughs> athletes are going to gravitate to you or, or teams and all that. Um, but now you're working with coaches and trying to make the coaches better. Um, and that's your niche, right? So yeah. um, wh- how are you, you know, talk about your, um, the speed insiders toolbox, which is, you know, one of the avenues, which I know you've been working on to try to help um, get your message across to help coaches become better coaches.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. So the, the toolbox actually started about 15 years ago and we ran it for a little while and then um, we had a little business model change, we moved and did some stuff and we kind of stopped it. And then we restarted it a couple years ago, and I love it, but I wasn't happy with it because my my personal feeling is I like to teach, like I like to take through a process. So we actually stopped it for a little bit, we restarted it. And what we're doing is we're actually doing it in like this module format where each month we're driving in deep into a particular skill set. And the other thing due to that, I, I really try to do and This is hard for me because I like to share information mm-hmm. is we tried to reduce how much stuff we put in there because what I was finding people who were leaving were leaving because they're like, I just can't find time to get through everything. It's just so much stuff. We like it, but it's, I just can't do it. I can't. So, and and I knew better than that because that's that's one of the cardinal sins of of giving anything. When you teach a class, if you give too much, it's just you can't absorb it. So we what we try to do is give very detailed information, but not too much, and then do it weekly. So coaches can learn it at their own time. They have a little bit of time to implement it and then the next lesson comes week two week three week four, and then the next month is a new module and we're really we're getting great feedback from that and uh people are excited about it because it's actually giving them a chance to absorb it and so so that's been good
0: oh that's awesome great um all right so um i know you're busy and i i'm going to just hit you with the uh three questions i ask every guest all right so um First one is: Do you have a favorite quote um, or something which you use as your mantra, um, or some, a, a quote that you always refer to? Like if you work with an athlete, and this is the like you know the thing that you spit out at them or or whatnot. So, do you have a favorite quote?
1: You know, um, this quote goes more to uh, people that are struggling or athletes that are struggling with maybe a coach that got on them, or a parent, or somebody else. Uh, and i think it was eleanor roosevelt's quote and it's always been one of my favorite ones and i've used it for years is nobody can make you feel bad about yourself unless you give them permission so it doesn't matter what you say to me if i don't if i can just be mentally strong and not let that bother me because that's your opinion right, right. so I, I try to get that across because especially in today's world we know kids are very sensitive they get down and i'm like People are gonna say things for whatever reason, but if you don't give it permission to bother you, it won't, and you gotta work on that. So that's always been one of my favorite
0: ones. That's a great quote, Um, I like that. I got to actually use that with my, use that on my kids now. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, I do with my kids. You I know? Say,
0: yeah. Cause I, you know, they're both, I have a nine and six year old and they're always like, can you call me this? <laughs> you know, like getting all upset. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, favorite book. If you had to recommend one book, this is like another one of those like really hard questions. Cause I know you're, you, you're, you you know, there's probably thousands of books that you've read in your life. Oh, yeah. If you had to pick one book, it could be on training or it could be on whatever, one book to recommend to somebody, what would that book be?
1: Um, gosh, I would go definitely between, and I know it sounds kind of uh, redundant because I'm sure a lot of people do, but certainly the uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People was always one that, you know, that I really liked. But there's another one that's driving me nuts because I'm, I'm drawing a blank on it, but it's the power of, it's a um, It's a sports um psychology book Mm -hmm. and um i'll I'll think of it here in a minute here but it's a book that i probably read six eight times because it was just so impactful on on the way it was easy like it was an easy read but it was an impactful read and um the the power of engagement i think is the power of engagement yeah um and um the sports psychologist there was actually a couple of them and, and they're just really, really good points to it. And that was one that I just loved. I love, you know, and then from a business, I like the, the book, uh, Make It Stick. Make It Stick was one that I always, because I think that's a powerful message, you know. So, yeah, those would be a couple of the good ones I like.
0: Okay. And Make It Stick?
1: Yeah, Make It Stick is a great one.
0: All right. Awesome. And last question. All right. Lee Taft's three keys to success.
1: What we are keep- they? Three keys to success. Uh, well, I would say, because these are things that I try to do for myself is, uh, uh, you know, that I would promote as well is uh, don't ever think that you've got it figured out. Always be open to learn, right? That's, that's number one. Number two is I think, I don't think enough people have great habits. And what I mean by habits, I mean their daily Get up in the morning, do this, do this, do that. That's your habit because when I don't have to think about things, it goes easier. If I have to think about, okay, what am I going to put on? What am I going to do in the morning for a workout? What what time am I going to get up? I have very distinct habits and I follow those. And I think people who don't struggle, I think they don't get a lot of things done. I can get a lot done. One of my goals now is I try to get stuff done by noon and then there, anything i have to do the rest of the day is cuz i want to or maybe i have to do something after that or a schedule lets me but in terms of my busy work i get up at 5 i try to be done by noon on purpose because then i do have the extra time if i need it i think that's good um and then and then the last one in terms of success and um i think you have to be And this this has to do with with uh, more or less uh business kind of stuff is you got to be willing to say no to the good to say yes to the great. I struggled with this. I said yes to everything. Right. And I just missed a lot of opportunities. I wore myself out. So I think you have to kindly say no to the good so you can say yes to the great. So you have opportunities to be able to grow your business because you can't do everything for everyone as much as we'd like to. So, so I would say those three have been pretty good. Those are things I work on all the time.
0: Well, yeah, and I, I, the second one is no shock because you are probably one of the most productive people um, <laughs> you know I know just in terms of like everything that you have on your plate. Um, Lee, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, this has been great, highly informative, and I hope our listeners um, will um, take a lot of the lessons that you uh, you taught us today uh, to heart and implement them in their coaching or or their business. So, uh, well, thanks thank again.
1: You, Thank you, Judah. I appreciate appreciate all you're doing. You're offering a lot for all of us out there.
0: Thanks, Lee. Thanks for listening to the Norris Sports Performance Podcast. Be sure to hit the like and subscribe button, as well as checking out the show notes for more information on our guests. You can find us on Instagram at Norris Sports Performance. Until next time, I'm your host, Judah Boulay reminding you to train smart and recover smarter.